I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, growing your own fruit and vegetables, pest control, garden design and ideas for small spaces. Plus expert gardening advice throughout the year. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the RHS's team of horticultural advisors based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition, bare root or container grown, an expert guide to choosing and planting new shrubs and trees. RHS advisors answer your seasonal gardening questions and, as always, the latest news on RHS garden events across the UK. But first, let's hear about some of the jobs you can be tackling in your garden this November. My name is Matthew Pottage and I'm the acting curator of RHS Garden Wisley. So jobs to be looking at now for November, it's very much back end of the year, putting the garden to bed, autumn kind of tidy up. The leaves are now down off the trees and there are a few points you can do of getting your garden into good shape, even if you're a fan of cutting things back in the spring, uh, which I am. There's always things we can be doing just to see that everything is on a good, steady kind of uh Good garden husbandry for the winter time, if you like. And that's around visiting borders. If you've got plants that have spilled out over the border onto the grass, get those trimmed back or pull them back. You're going to have grass dying off if it's shaded out and you've got soggy herbaceous plants spilling over the lawn. So see the lawn's got good light to it. Hopefully you've already scarified it by now. But if it's not freezing cold, you can still scarify, get the moss, get the thatch out of the lawn, aerate the lawn, but see it's got good light and air circulation to it. If you want to break up some poor soil, have those clods of soil turned, do do any digging and have any big lumps of clay soil exposed to frost so that can be broken up. But equally, if you just want to get some organic matter and improve the texture of your soil, pile on any well-rotted farmyard manure or garden compost. I love to leave that sitting on the top for the worms to take down, for the winter weather just to work in. And that will take a few months anyway. So that can just sit there while you're enjoying Christmas and the new year and probably some winter sun somewhere. Be careful you don't heap that mulch up over the crowns of perennials. So mulch around things and leave some space. And if you are a bit of a 
uh, a neat freak and you want to tidy up and you've got things like penstemons or salvias which don't really want a hard cut back in the autumn you can just give them a shear over reduce them by about half just so they're tidier but really you shouldn't be doing final cutbacks on some of those warm season plants until the spring and then finally something that i'm always a fan of doing in the autumn time is any division or any dividing up of things which can be disturbed in the autumn so anything that you know is fully hardy when you can see the bulk of it you can see how big it's got in the summer if you think that needs reducing or that should be smaller you can still do that while the ground is is basically not freezing so if you can get the spade in and that's still workable you can do that i think one of the downfalls of always doing all your border maintenance in the spring is when the winter's completely broken down all the perennials everything's flat it's really hard to remember how big things got or if something was in the wrong space so this time of year you can see how everything performed you can still see the, the kind of shape and stature of some of those perennials so if you need to do that force yourself out in the cold and do that and it'll make you feel a lot better for the spring ahead remember you can find more information about plants and all aspects of gardening techniques on the advice pages of the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. As regular podcast listeners will know, every month members of the RHS Gardening Advice team join us to answer some of the questions they've received recently. As a member, you can get advice on any gardening problem for free from our expert team by phone, post or email or in person at any one of the RHS flower shows. So let's join my colleagues as they tackle some of this month's problems. I'm Tony Dickerson. I'm a horticultural advisor here at RHS Wisley in Surrey. My name is Lee Hunt. I'm a gardening advisor helping to answer the members' gardening questions here on the team. My name's Guy Barter. I'm here on the science team here at Wisley answering questions about gardens. C. Pine has written in from Letchworth. Uh, we have a well-established lilac tree at the bottom of the garden. We have our table and chairs underneath it and it provides natural shade and rain cover as well. The trunk is quite barren. I was wondering if we could grow a flowering climber around it um, so that when the, fl- the lilac was in leaf, it would provide some extra interest. It's very shady and with poorish soil. Is there anything that would enjoy these conditions? Well, I think there's a problem here. I mean, climbers are designed by nature to climb and they're normally climbing towards the light. And once they've gone up through the, the trees or whatever and they're in full light, then they produce their flowers. Um, There are a few climbers that will grow in shade and deep shade, uh, but often, again, they're quite rampant. And I think here this is a very difficult situation. If it were were me, I might consider uh, Euonymus fortunii, a little shrub climber that you might plant at the base and would just uh, lean against the trunk of the uh, lilac there. Or possibly, we don't often... uh, uh, advise members to grow this so they're usually asking us how to get rid of it but uh, common ivy um helix of which there are hundreds of selections the victorians in particular as with ferns were uh, immersed with uh, choosing all the natural variants out in the wild there and it is possible to get some very interesting leaf patterns and so on and as a ground cover uh, or even just allowed to grow up the trunk to a little extent it, it would provide some interest but to say Um, climbers under trees in dry shade very difficult situation 
I have to say I do completely agree with Tony. I think also the risk is that the climber will grow up, grow to the tops of the, the lilac branches and then flower on the top of the tree where you can't see them where you're sitting. So you might do all the work and then actually have nothing to look at. So I would be rather tempted to try a different approach. And one of the shrubs that's very flowery in the middle of summer and pretty tolerant of more shady conditions is a hydrangea. Now, it might just need a bit of water to keep it really blooming well. But um, as it's a very high used area, I think it's one of those where you could just consider getting some water to that plant in the middle of summer. There's so many different ones to try these days. And I think, you know, you can look for ones with black stems like Zorro's. But the flower colour often is very variable. So if you put it in the ground and your soil isn't acidic, it'll tend to be pink. If your soil is acidic, it might go towards the the blue colours. So I would just tend to go for one that you generally like the look of, whether more on whether it's a mop head, so a rounded dome, or whether it's a lace cap where you get the little uh, dotted flowers in the middle and then the bigger petals around the outside. So it looks like it's got a lace fringe to it. Uh, put one of, of those in and enjoy it because a lot of the varieties now will flower on and off really between uh, June and then right through into providing colour into October. Initially, they're often quite uh, the colour you buy, so more of a, a pink or blue or white, but then they tend to develop more pinkish or dark pinkish tones into the late summer period so you do get a continuation of colour. If on the other hand despite um, the dire warnings from Tony and Lee uh, you fancy having a a climber I'm going to suggest clematis and uh, some are reasonably tolerant of shade. Now lilacs um, cast quite a deep shade and they also rob the soil incredibly of nutrients and water so I suggest that you plant it a little away from the base of the tree and uh, lead the shoot in along a stick or a cane um, into the canopy of the tree. And it's quite true, once they're up in the tree, they will tend to head off for the light. But since the tree's at the bottom of your garden, um, presumably you can enjoy gazing at it out of of the windows of your house, um, and it'll look good in the distance. And from time to time, you'll have to cut it back in the winter and uh, let it start again. But I've noticed that our gardeners here at Wisley do a lot of this, um, large shrubs, small trees, and it's not as successful as you might think. So um, if you're going to do it, make sure you feed the clematis well uh, with liquid fertiliser during the summer, plenty of water, and uh, see how it goes. Right. Um, We have an email from uh, Mrs uh, Linda Rigby from Poole. Uh, She's just moved into a new build house in Dorset. The garden is essentially a blank canvas, 30 feet by 60 feet. Um, fences all round, south facing. She has no idea where to start with creating a garden and she would welcome some help. They have two children, aged two and five, and both work, so time is at a premium. Well, it, I think a blank canvas is often more daunting by far than actually having something to go on because it's trying to imagine what it could look like. And so trying to get some inspiration is always a good start. So obviously, uh, if you can get out to gardens and have a look and see what plants you like. And of course, if you uh, come along to the RHS gardens, there are lots of little corners as well as the big spaces. So, um, you know, if you're daunted by the scale of Whistley, 
go and look for things like the the wall gardens um, or at um, Halokar, you know, you will just find that there are the little gardens, the model gardens as well, which are ideal. So go and have a look. And of course, as well as those two gardens, we've got Rosemore down in Devon and there's Hyde Hall over in Essex as well, just near Chelmsford. I think the next thing you need to think about is actually what you want from the garden um, because there's so many things you could have. You could literally think about a swing and a play area for the children. You might need a shed for storing, get all the things like the mower or other things that you want to uh, think about for the shed, like a home office. Um, There might be compost bins. There might be things like water butts. Um, You might want borders. You might want a veg patch. So actually just get a short list down of those very practical items about what you want from your garden the next thing is you don't need to do them all at once so i think pick off bits at a time and try and make most impact i suggest things like the practical things so perhaps the shed and if you've got specific things for the children so that they can start to feel that it's their space that they get involved in it but then actually i'd sit in the main room look out at the garden and think what am I actually looking at which are the bits of the garden where if I do something there it's going to make a big impact because probably you'll spend as much time um, through the year looking out through the living room window as you will sitting out there and enjoying it so um, look out the window if there's an obvious area to create a bed just start with that one if it if you've got limited time think about then shrubs and getting those in first because shrubs are going to form your framework your structure they're going to start to lose the fence as well because they'll make a green cloak so again shrubs and things to go on the fences like climbers are a way to start um, a great source of information is the rhs website uh, simply put in garden design and it'll give you a whole introduction uh, to the main elements of garden design and also ideas about the styles of gardens you know whether you want a wild consider and reflect always useful to draw a plan up on a, a bit of paper or of course these days with a ipad or whatever you may actually do it on screen but getting some ideas and some shapes and so on down on paper uh, you can work things over before you actually commit yourself to uh, investing in patios and lawns and plantings of all sorts you may also be lucky some garden centers still offer a design and planting service where for a relatively modest fee uh, they'll provide some stock designs and some stock layouts and of course in return for buying the plants uh, you get that design expertise of course, the uh, ultimate solution is to go to the Society of Garden Designers, where you will find um, both uh, local and international designers listed on their website. And uh, certainly there again, uh, enormous uh, talents and so on out there. But uh, if you're doing it yourself, I'd say, first of all, take a bit of time, reflect and don't rush into any uh, activity at all. Chloe Staines has emailed him and uh, she says, my sister is getting married next month. I'd like to buy the happy couple a pair of shrubs or other long-lasting plants in pots for their terrace. Can you suggest something that uh, will be easy to care for and ideally have a symbolic significance about her marriage as well as aesthetic and horticultural value? Well, that's not a very big ask. Lee, 
You must have plenty of ideas. Uh, well, I've gone back for an old-fashioned favourite, which is myrtle, myrtle bush. And it has glossy evergreen leaves, which are, are pointed, and then little clusters of creamy flowers as well. And they've got almost like um, a sort of starbuster effect in the middle. Uh, the myrtle is also very scented. So it's one that does need a bit of a shelter garden, a bit more sunny, but it is relatively tough otherwise. So most of the, uh, the country, certainly south, it can be grown. The reason for suggesting this is that it has a very long association with marriage. Um, Queen Victoria's first daughter, Princess Alice, has sprigs of it in her wedding bouquet. Those were then taken from the bouquet and propagated and grown at Osborne. And all of Queen Victoria's children had sprigs growing, um, grown from those plants in their own wedding bouquets. So it's had quite a long uh, royal and therefore sort of widespread association with marriage in this country. We often get asked about uh, plants for special occasions or plants that perhaps bear the name of a person. And this, again, is where the RHS website is a wonderful resource because the plant finder online allows you to put in various words, not just the names of the actual Latin or common names of the plants, but indeed anything. And um, just from a very brief search, I did discover that there is a fuchsia called Happy Wedding Day. Um, don't know anything about it. It could be a hardy fuchsia, could make a, a great pot plant, uh, but that's certainly a start. There's also an apple, a marriage maker. Um, apples on dwarf rootstocks do very nicely in pots. Um, with apples, they do need a, a partner, just as in a, as in a marriage. So you would need to find a, a suitable uh, variety there for a cross-pollination. And finally, looking towards the future, I noticed there's a camellia called Happy Anniversary. Um, so again, the plant finder online, they're a, a great source of uh, inspiration where you're looking for particular plants to celebrate a person or an event. Oh, I'm such a grumpy old person. Um, I always feel buying plants for people is a bit of an imposition. So happily, uh, good garden centres like the Royal Horticultural Society ones um, offer plant vouchers uh, so that people can make their own choices. However, I dare say your sister is not a good gardener at the very first um, enthusiasm or experience, so perhaps plant vouchers with the sage choices offered by uh, Lee and Tony might well be might well be the way forward. I always like the Mertis one. One can Imagine the poor old head gardener's heart sinking at the thought of having to propagate these rather wilted bouquets. And I expect the crafty old devils um, took some cuttings and had them coming along in the background ready to take over. But then that's the kind of person I am, I suppose. Jay Cox has emailed in. I'd like to introduce some red or purple leaf plants into my gardens. Can you suggest any to try, please? Well, there's quite a bit to go out here. What do we think? Um, well, I'm going to start with some shrubs uh, nothing too enormous um first of all uh, nandina domestica goes under the common name sacred bamboo uh, but listeners will be heartened to learn it's nothing to do with bamboo at all related to berberis and uh, lovely small shrubs perhaps uh, three four feet high slightly higher sprays of white flowers in early summer and if you grow a number they can also set some very vivid uh, red berries and there's several cultivars several selections now that the uh, nurseries and the plant breeders have been selecting out uh, seeker is one plum passion is another and purple passion and together with the fine feathery foliage uh, at the 
top of the plant you have these sprays of new foliage in these vivid colors and again uh, great for either a bit of sun or indeed i grow mine in a bit of shade and they seem equally happy Cotinus is another option, uh, ones like Grace and Royal Purple, very dark burgundy coloured, almost purple leaves. And then in autumn, they change completely to bright yellows and orange as the leaves fall. So again, uh, very good for adding structure. Cotinus, a common name, uh, smoke bush because of the very feathery flowers that it uh, bears in summer, indeed even into to autumn. And, and finally, um, an elder, common hedgerow plant in the countryside but uh, Sambucus black lace is a particular selection with very dark again burgundy coloured foliage and uh, very attractive uh, pink flowers earlier earlier in the summer right we, we've got an email from uh, Mr Dawson here from Milton Keynes um, he's talking about his pond he has a good filter system and a pump uh, the pond's two meters square so roughly uh, six feet square but he's getting lots of problems with regular green water in the pond. The fish are healthy, but he cannot see them. And he wants to know how he can get rid of the, the green algae there in the pond. Um, he mentions there's a bewildering range of products on the market when you go to these water centres. So, um, Guy, green, green water in ponds. It's natural uh, for water to gradually build up a population of algae and these algae can be single-celled when you'd have to have a murky green water or they can be multi-celled and filamentous when you get uh, filaments, that's long strands of algae um, or large lumps of sludgy stuff. Uh, The single-celled algae are too small to see except with a microscope Um, but all algae have the same thing in common Uh, they use sunlight and water uh, to photosynthesize using the nutrients in the water and uh, the less nutrient in the water uh, the less the problem Uh, fish of course um, if i can uh, be indelicate uh, produce lots of droppings and uh, they get fed and so the water tends to be rather fertile and tends to have a a lot of algae and also the fish some fish eat a lot of plants too Uh, so um, first thing is to check your your stocking rate if you do need to have a heavy stocking rate of fish that means the number of fish per unit volume of water um, or to put more simply lots of fish in your pond um, then uh, you now start need to thinking about um, other controls now it's traditional uh, to put lavender or barley straw in the water in spring and this appears to work in about half the time Uh, the lavender or barley straw breaks down it releases hydrogen peroxide you're probably familiar with hydrogen peroxide from the hairdressers and the the disinfectant and uh, that in small quantities doesn't harm the fish life but it does tend to slow down the algae however and when it's a particularly lovely pond full of fish uh, and you in this case it's only two meters by two meters so it's entirely feasible uh, to buy in a system that will control it one system uh, passes the water over an ultraviolet uh, bulb ultraviolet is a kind of light that is destructive um, to uh, living things and uh, as the water flows over the bulb the algae are killed the fish of course are kept out with a filter um, so it's only small things that go over the pond Uh, Recent research has started producing ultrasonic controls and uh, this is where the water is passed through a a chamber where ultrasonic energy is applied. That's really high um, pitched sound of lots of energy that disrupts the cells. Uh, So that's the other one. And 
uh, fish keepers often combine this with passing the water over a separate um, bed of uh, watercress, um, which the the plant actually uses a lot of the nutrients to grow. You just cut the watercress from time to time and put it on the compost bin. It tends to be a bit too coarse to eat. Uh, so those sort of things um, sh- should give you a certain amount of control. And uh, there are a bewildering range of products on the market. Uh, a lot of them work by enzymes um, or extracts of barley straw. They should work on one kind of algae or another, but until you try them, you don't know whether your algae is one of the ones that um, gets knocked out by these proprietary products, um, which is why I'm suggesting the ultraviolet or the ultrasonic, which work on any algae you care to bring forward. The RHS Advice Team As well as free gardening advice, RHS members also get free entry to all four RHS gardens. The opportunity to buy discounted and priority tickets to RHS events, such as the RHS flower shows. Early bird tickets with up to an extra 15% off for the shows at Tatton Park and Hampton Court Palace have just been released for sale to members and can be booked through the RHS website. On the website, you can also find out more about the benefits of becoming a member of the RHS. Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. Now, shrubs. This is the prime time of year for planting shrubs and small trees. Planting new trees isn't difficult, but it is important to do it correctly in order to give your plants the best start and to create firm and nurturing foundations for a strong future. There are three main types of shrub available container-grown, bare-root and root-balled. Container-grown plants can be planted at any time of year but are easier to care for if planted in the autumn or winter as they need less watering than ones planted in spring or summer. Bare-rooted and root-balled trees and shrubs are only available in autumn and winter. They should be planted immediately but if this isn't possible they can be healed in which is just temporary planting in the soil to prevent the roots drying out until you can get round to planting them. Here's Alastair Penstone-Smith, leader of the Shrub and Woody Plant Team at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey to explain about the advantages of each type and how to plant and care for your new plants to get the best results in your garden. My name's Alistair Penstone-Smith. I'm the team leader for the Woodland team here at RHS Garden Wisley. So bare-rooted trees are a great way to buy in trees that will establish really well. They should arrive in a, a polythene wrappings to prevent the fibrous roots from drying out. The tree you want, would like to have is a well-developed root system, so it's spreading evenly over in all directions. Um, what you want to avoid is looking at those trees that will have a hockey stick appearance where the roots will be coming out on one side. This will just mean uh, poor establishment. You would really want a nice fibrous root system that is well-balanced and spreading in, in multiple directions. So when, when you get the tree, you want to thoroughly tease out the roots and you want to make sure that the one thing you don't want to do is let these roots dry out. So if you're looking at planting, you really want to plant immediately when you get these trees. You don't want to wait around because the, you want to keep them out of the wind, out of the sun, keep them in a cool, dark place, maybe in the polythene, and just keep checking that the roots are well moist. A recommendation would be before planting, if they look moist, just give them a soak just to make sure for half an hour, keep them submerged in a bucket of water. If they are looking on the dry 
dry side, then keep them in that water a lot longer. But it's important not to keep them constantly in this water submerged. They need the air to get to the roots, of course, not to waterlog them too much. When you um, want to look at finding the tree, it's the same as uh, buying any tree. You want to look at uh, the criteria of what you're looking for, so the height and spread of the tree might be an important factor when you're selecting a tree you want to make sure it's suitable for your garden uh, so, so uh, you want to do some research work out what size the tree will eventually come to the season of interest you want to consider taking a look at what you want from the tree whether it's uh, the flowering time foliage whether it produces a fruit or whether it's got a nice bark that's a uh, could be grown for its decoration. Also the conditions of your garden. Um, you'll be spending a lot of money on the trees. So um, you want to take into account that you want the plant to be able to survive in the conditions you've chosen for it. Bare-rooted tree will come in with no soil around its roots. It will come in, normally it's um, a lot of hedging is done bare-rooted because it is cheaper and commercially more easier way to supply trees. When it comes to planting bare-rooted trees, it's really important to water thoroughly before planting. Always soak the roots, as I mentioned before. If they look moist, soak for half an hour. If they look dry, soak up for um, maybe two hours. Um, remember to take up, take off all the f fabric wrapping off the roots. Tease the roots out and, and make sure the planting hole is to the correct depth. Um, you don't want it deeper than the roots and, and ideally the hole should be uh, three times the diameter of the root system. Um, obviously if, if you're planting and you notice that the hole is compacted, remember to spike the sides with a fork, avoiding digging up the base too much that will cause uh, the soil to fluff up and, and it will cause the plant to sink over time which could lead to the tree eventually rotting away. It's important to also remember when you're planting a bare-rooted tree to make sure that you when backfilling the soil that tease the soil in through the roots because it's really important that the soil and the roots uh, cause a nice firm establishment together. Uh, you don't want any air pockets, any spaces that can uh, cause the roots to either dry out or, or prevent wind rock. We use a mycorrhiza to help the roots establish a lot quicker with the, with the surrounding soil. So um, it's, a, it's a great way to give them that burst of energy uh, further on. So aftercare is almost just as important as planting after you're spending money on the plants you want to make sure that it's going to uh, succeed and so yeah making sure that it's well watered afterwards there's a number of ways um, you can ensure that it's well watered there's water bags or tree gators that can be used so they are like a reservoir that's collected around the tree also building up the soil slightly around to create a donut will cause uh, a water bowl which will um, help the water to drench the roots and keep that moisture locked down where it's needed most. But it's really important to plant the bare-rooted trees out as soon as you get them. You don't want the roots drying out. So if it is a matter of judging the conditions, because you also don't want to plant out if the ground's frozen or if it's waterlogged. So if in that case, it's probably best to hold fire until those conditions are, are, are right for planting. So if you do need to um, look after these trees uh, a little longer, then uh, keep them in a bag, uh, in a cool dark unheated garage or garden shed better still it'll be better to um, heal these trees in so a healing in process is just digging a trench and literally just lightly 
throwing the soil over the roots, uh, making sure that the roots are well covered. Um, not so in-depth as planting, but you're just keeping the soil and the roots protected. Alastair Penstone-Smith from the Shrub and Woody Plant Team at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. You can find more detailed advice and video guides to planting trees and shrubs on the advice pages of the RHS website rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. So that's nearly all for this RHS gardening podcast. There's just time for details of some of the exciting RHS events and attractions coming up in the next few weeks. Start your Christmas shopping at our fantastic two-day Christmas craft and design fair at RHS Garden Rosemore on the 21st and 22nd of November, where you'll find exciting gifts on display on every stall. The fair focuses on the beautiful and the unusual, so you're guaranteed to find something for everyone. Get down to earth at RHS Garden Hyde Hall with a compost-making workshop on the 24th and the 25th of November. We'll show you what ingredients you need, as well as suitable containers, and then you can sit back and let nature do the rest. Join us at RHS Harlow Car for the Art and Craft Christmas Exhibition between the 10th and the 29th of November, which is the perfect place to buy your bespoke and handmade Christmas presents. Normal garden admission applies. And finally, browse and buy from more than 160 of the finest craftspeople in the country, for original and unusual Christmas gifts at the Craft and Design Fair at RHS Garden Wisley from the 25th to the 29th of November. Please note the Craft Fair is held outside the garden. Full details of all events and more are on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens what's on. That's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, 
you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 